Hello, and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime, with Kaylin and Elena. Hi there. Aloha. (laughs) (laughs) So I was trying to figure out what else. There was something else I was going to bring up. Oh, that's right. We never, that's our great mystery. (sighs) Oh, I guess we can. So if you're not on our discussion group, first of all, you should be. Yes. Um, You miss a lot of things (laughs) if you're not on there. So... This was the other thing. I had texted you about this. I believe it was yesterday as well. Uh-huh. And I wanted to bring this up. So Cheryl had posted on our um, our discussion group a link to a news article that is titled LAPD chart officer charged with fondling dead woman's breast. Oh, yeah. Faces three years in jail. Now... The first time I read this, I skimmed through. I was like, this is fucking disgusting. Fuck this dude. And then I went and I reread it yesterday. And then I texted you about it. Yes, you did. Now, because there's a phrase in here that's very odd. Very odd. So it says the LAPD officer who was accused of fondling a dead woman's breasts has been charged. David Rojas, 27, could be sent to prison for three years if found if found guilty of having sexual contact with human remains without authority, according to the statement by Los Angeles County District Attorney. That's the weird part. Mm-hmm. The weird part is that it says he could face up to three years if found guilty of having sexual contact with human remains without authority see and like and so you had texted that to me and asked me about it and just the phrasing of that i'm very certain is based on the way that the law is written and i told you i wondered if it didn't have something to do because obviously a mortician washes a body you know those sorts of things and i really wonder if it's just a very poorly worded law do you know what I mean? Yeah, because I had screenshot it. Because just touching a breast or whatever, I mean, that's not in and of itself sexual, sexual contact. contact. But the way the morons that we have in legislative positions across this country, as we now know, like the moron who thought that you could re-implant an ectopic pregnancy and so wrote a law saying that if a doctor didn't do so he was guilty of murder yes this is real people and then when everybody was like you're an idiot that's not a possibility his defense well i'm a legislature i don't have a medical degree how was i supposed to know then don't write laws about the exactly about the medical field if don't write laws about women's bodies if you can't find a clitoris just shut up like, I'm so done with people. Yeah. Because I had sent that to you and yeah. I had highlighted the without authority part. Mm-hmm. And in all caps, I was like, does this mean, I was like, does this mean, wow. How does one get authority to have sexual yes. contact <laughs> with human remains? Yeah. And you had brought up the morticians and having to touch all body all parts right. while washing and preparing. And you even said, that's not really sexual, but, and I, and I agreed. I was like, I would never call that no. sexual. And then I asked her, I was like, so are there cops and shit out there who have authority to have sexual contact with human remains? No. I, like I said, I, I'm 100% convinced it's a badly worded law. Article. Or and, article. And, or, yeah, whatever. And just because we have so many idiots who've been elected 
to positions of power that they should never, ever hold. Right. I, yeah, I, I can't anymore. And again, yeah. it goes back to people who are well-educated, who understand science, who understand facts, who understand thinking logically. At this point, I think we should all become Vulcans because we're doomed. We are so doomed. And that's my, Merry Christmas, everyone. We're doomed. <laughs> That's my thoughts this holiday season. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I know. So. Yeah, no, it was just a, it was a. Yeah, that was a weird thing. Do we, do we tell them about what I did? The thing we were just talking about. Yes, yes. Well, do we tell them or do we wait? wait? Let's wait. Okay, we'll wait. wait. We'll wait. We have a secret. We'll wait until we get an email back confirming or denying. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll do that. Yeah. So, we have a secret. We do have a secret that I'm really excited about. I actually did it without without permission. (laughs) It was one of those things that I'm like, she's going to be excited about it. (laughs) Yes. But it was also one of those things that I was like, hope she wants to go. Like, I'm just gonna do it and tell it about her tell like her about it, it later. Yes. So So we're excited. We are excited. So we do have some hopefully, hopefully good news. I'm not yes. holding my breath for anything because like probably not, but you never fucking know. You never know. And it never hurts to try. That's right. So we'll see. But on another note that kind of has to do with this, we may possibly be putting ads into yeah. our stuff. Um we have a couple of things that we we think would be cool to do. But since this is very much a hobby and we both very much have full-time jobs and families and stuff like that, that we were thinking about putting ads in so that we can take whatever money we get from the ads to be able to go to these cool events yeah. and stuff. So and just possible. to make, yeah, to do some upgrades maybe. Right, yeah. right. So. so, all right. Are okay. we ready to jump into your case? I think we are. And like I said, I apologize ahead of time. I do not feel as... I don't know, prepared as I should be, but, um, this was a really fascinating case for me because it is one I had never heard of and I'm not sure how I'd never heard of it. Okay. So, and I don't know if you have either. I saw, I I see a word that looks familiar, but I don't think I know anything about the case itself. So again, so when I was looking, I always, like I said, I always start with like, you know, like famous, whatever our state is, murders, and you usually get an interesting list and you can go through those. And then Cheryl had sent me the same one. And so actually the first case that popped into my mind when we talked about Hawaii is one that actually has had quite a bit of attention, but I was still thinking that probably a lot of our listeners weren't as familiar with it just because it was kind of old and like the attention that came from it. Like I know there was a TV movie possibly miniseries and it was a woman um I think she was married to a naval officer now the details escape me because I didn't really do a lot of research because I was like yeah I don't really want to do that one but she was raped and pretty brutally and then she accused some quote-unquote native or local Hawaiians and it created a big brouhaha and then there was some heavy suspicion that she was possibly lying that maybe she was having an affair and she concocted this rape story to try to so it it got very convoluted very quickly I actually just saw a TV series I think it was mm-hmm. on Netflix this seems very similar to this except it wasn't set in Hawaii okay but it was um the way they see us, I think, is what it may have been okay. called. Um, but it, from what it looked like, it was the, a woman who had been 
severely beaten and raped. And it was a group of young black boys that seemed to be in the center of and again, oh, it was just like, is that the Central Park murder or the Central Park? Rape? I have I think no that's what, yes. idea. That has been a huge. It's, and if you could like, if you haven't seen that on Netflix yet, watch it. That's about the Central Park jogger who was brutally raped and beaten, and the moron who now sits in the White House got into that like he was claiming that these young boys who were like some of them were 14 15 should be given the death penalty and of course they've all been exonerated it's another case of shoddy police work targeting people because of the color of their skin so this is called when they, they see, see us. us and it says yes. five teens from harlem mm -hmm. um become trapped in a nightmare when they are falsely accused of yep. a brutal attack in central park based yes. on true yes. story and that is that case is also infuriating, heartbreaking. I couldn't make it through the series because I was bawling so hard. Really? So yeah, I was trying to find something to watch on Netflix last night, and it's I was a good scrolling, one. and I saw because you know when you scroll past it and it like plays the mm -hmm. trailer. I watched the trailer and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. But that what you were just saying it sounds and, very similar. Right, and that series, and but she didn't lie. I mean, she was brutally attacked gotcha. and raped. That was again bad police work, morons like the idiot orangutan that sits in the white house running his mouth and getting people all heated up because he is a racist i'm sorry he's a racist and a story and uh yes it's it's an upsetting case gotcha. so anyway we're going back to hawaii for mine mine is also an upsetting case for a number of reasons it is the worst mass ma murder in the history of hawaii Aside from all the colonization and stuff, because, you know, we, we <laughs> pretend that that's not murder. But um, the worst mass murder in Hawaii, which took place on November 2nd, 1999. And the case is usually referred to as the Xerox murders. I saw Xerox mm -hmm. and I was like, I know that word. Do but... you? Yeah. So because it happened at the Xerox Corporation building there in Hawaii. Right. And so if any of our listeners were ever fans of... The TV show Lost. They actually watched portions of that series that were actually filmed in this building, this Xerox building, which sat empty for years after this this mass shooting. And then the producers of Lost actually used that building as a soundstage. And some of the shooting for Lost was done there, which I thought was Kind of creepy. Do you know what I mean? Like, but what do you right. do? I think you and I have talked a little bit about that too. You know, with houses and other locations where these horrific acts have happened. Right. And it's you, almost one of those things where, like, I, when I think about it in my head, I'm like, these kinds of things would make awesome museums, but <laughs> then that's also, like, kind of morbid. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, I feel like that's also a decently respectful thing to do. I know you do. You to feel, an extent, yeah. you know what I mean? It's I kind know. of a hard thing, but it does seem kind of creepy and morbid to be like, oh, this huge crime scene is now a museum. But then it's like, but they also will, in my mind at least, would respect the victims and what happened and things like that. So it's kind of like a... A toss up for I know. me. Yeah, on like how... I just don't know what you do with those places. You know, like we have a couple of houses here around town that you and I know quite well where murders happened, mm -hmm. you know, and they have people living in them. And I just think, right. I don't, 
no, I don't, yeah, it's weird. So. There's actually, like, that, I don't remember exactly what it's called. I think it's in California, the, like, true crime museum, the serial killer Right, yes, I yeah. would love nothing more <laughs> but to go there. Yeah. I think it would be fascinating. And like I said, I have such mixed feelings about some of that stuff because you don't want to fetishize it and that sort of a thing. Right. But like you said, you do, you want to understand, you want to memorialize the victims in particular, but I think too often what ends up happening is the murderers themselves get some sort of celebrity status and the victims kind of get lost. In the I shuffle. also think that it would be absolutely fascinating to be able to, because most of these things that they have in the museums, all you ever see of are pictures. Mm -hmm. And then in these museums, it's like in the flesh. And I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, like, especially because you see a lot of things like where with Ted Bundy's car being in a museum. It's mm -hmm. like, that's like the actual place where he would put these women in alive and dead yes, and yes. their body parts and their, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just, and so I think there's another, it takes it to another level when it is like something that you can see in the flesh. Mm -hmm. But, okay, sorry. No, Continue. you're okay. We kind of went off on a rant yes. about museums. That's all right. So. If any of you want to send me to that museum in California, <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't argue with that. That's another thing to save the ad money for. Mm -hmm. So. So on November 2nd, 1999, as we said, the worst mass shooting in the history of Hawaii happened, and it was in Honolulu. Honolulu, <coughs> excuse me, at the time, um, and I think still today, had a population of around a million people. The year prior to this, okay, so the year prior, this city of a million, I think they said had had like 17 murders, which is a pretty low murder rate. Um, Hawaii has the lowest incidence of gun violence in the United States, even today. Part of it, I think, is because of some of the laws that were made after this case. And you know, and you talked about how with your case, um, they outlawed the grill lights and, you know. On unmarked police vehicles. Right. I feel like Hawaii is very responsive to that. Right. That when bad things happen, they do something legislatively to try to prevent it. And this is also an example of that. Not like that helped the shitty police work that got done. Well, so. no. And hopefully that's better too. So, um, like I said, this is a mass murder. The perpetrator here is a guy named Byron Koji Yuasugi, and I know I'm not saying that very well, and I apologize. Um, and on the morning of November 2nd, he walked in and fatally shot and killed seven of his co-workers. Jason Balatico, 33, Ford Kanahira, 41, Ronald Katoka, 50, Ronald Kawame, 54, Melvin Lee, 58, Peter Mark, 46, and John Sakamoto, 36. Damn. And sometimes in mass murders, you know, it seems like they just go in and start shooting. Right. In this case, it seems that Yuasugi um, had a, a hit list, basically. Like, oh. he targeted these individuals specifically. The ones that were probably mean to him. Well, no, that's not fair because that's victim blaming. I know, I know, but, I know. I was and, but in his own mind, you are onto something. So another thing we need to talk about in the case of Yuasugi is the role of brain injuries, 
and mental illness. One interest, well, I guess it's interesting, but one of the things that has gotten a lot of attention, especially with mass shooters and serial killers and especially violent perpetrators and so on lately, is the role of the frontal and the temporal lobes of the brain. Okay. So recently, there's you've probably people have probably seen there's been a lot of this in the media. This idea that you know humans aren't really truly mature until around 25 to 30 years old. Right. And that's because that's how long it takes for the frontal lobe to fully mature and develop. And the frontal lobe is basically your self-control right region of the brain. Right. So. Um, Yuasugi has a number of things that probably played in to this tragedy. He was born in 1959, and in 1977, right before he graduated Roosevelt High School, he was in a car accident, and he hit his head on the windshield. Okay? Okay. This was actually shortly after graduating from Roosevelt High School. Now... His brother claims he was never the same after this accident. I mean, most people, I feel like, wouldn't be the same after Right. And you hear this a lot with people who sustain frontal and or temporal lobe. This is what we're finding out with, um, you know, players in the NFL who have repeated concussions. Multiple concussions, yeah. You know, and then suddenly they become very violent. They're very different people than they were before. Now, even prior to this car accident, Yuasugi was obsessed with guns. Okay. He had been a member of his school's army JR, JROTC chapter and a member of the school's rifle team, which, you know, in and of themselves are not bad things. I'm not saying that. Um, he was a quiet student who never got into trouble, but then he had that accident. And he, like I said, his brother said from that time on, he was different. Right. His father really tagged the change in his personality to 1984, shortly after Yuasugi began working for Xerox. Okay. All right. Now, another huge tragedy that he had in his life is that in 1988, his mother with whom, by all accounts, he was very close, died of cancer. Sad. Yes. So it's hard to know. I, I'm i usually one of those people, I don't usually believe it's just one thing. I right. Think it's a, multi, it's exactly. a combination it's of a, a bunch of things. A snowball and a, a tragic, you know, what do I want to say, conflagration of a number of different things. Right. Um, so in 1984, he's hired by Xerox, and Xerox was a good company to work for. He worked as a technician, and he also had, as a hobby, he would breed goldfish and koi, the great big ones that people keep in their ponds, mm-hmm. and he would sell those to local pet stores. So he made oh. some money doing that, worked for Xerox. He never moved out of the home that he shared with his father and his brother. Um, and he was also, throughout his life, a huge firearm collector. Okay. At the time that he murdered these seven people, he had 25 guns registered in his name. Jeez. And he had started this collection in 1982. Okay. All right. Um, now, 
we have a lot of warning signs with this dude. And I think that's one of the things that's most frustrating for people about this case. Like we said, he had been in this car accident and I, I am of the opinion that that's probably where a lot of these things started. He claimed that he had a poking sensation in his head and that sometimes it would be in his neck or his shoulders. And his brother said that like one time he was this, that Yuasagi was home by himself. And when the brother returned home, he was sitting there and he was just punching himself in the head and the face, claiming that these poking sensations were so bad and he was trying to get rid of them. Well, and you know, to go back to Dr. Phil, that again, yes. I listened to a lot of Dr. Phil this week, so give me a break for a moment. Um, <laughs> He also talked about how most mass shootings specifically, not only are there tons of warning signs in almost every single one of them, but, and I don't know if this happened with your case, we haven't either haven't gotten there yet, or maybe it just mm -hmm. wasn't a part of it, is that uh, Dr. Phil says in almost all mass shootings, the shooter has told at least one person what they were going to do, well, but nobody took them seriously. This guy talked about it. All, all the, time. the time. And that's so fucking crazy mm -hmm. to me. Oh, it gets worse. Let, let, let me get through my case, honey, and then I'll, I'll let you rant. <sighs> okay, yeah. yeah. Because you're going to get really pissed here in a minute. Oh, and okay. I promise I'll just let you go. So we have this, the punching of himself in the face. All right. In addition, he claimed that he would see these dark shadow people and that there was this dark shadow person that would appear in his room at night and hold down his ankles and pin him to the bed. And after that, his family, his father and brother, they had actually gotten some sort of like a local holy man. I can't remember what he's called. I apologize. Like I said, I didn't write down as much as I should have. They brought him to the house. and They actually like buried things at the four corners of the house that are supposed to appease spirits, you know, to try to make this better. Um... And, like we said, at work, he would always complain. He would make unfounded accusations of harassment. He claimed that his fellow repairmen were tampering with products and trying to set him up for failure. He claimed that people were coming and slashing his goldfish and his koi and hurting them. Um... He reportedly, repeatedly made threats against co-workers' lives. Now, in 1993, he became so angry at work that he kicked in and damaged an elevator door. And at that point, Xerox made him undergo psychiatric evaluation and anger management courses. I feel like that should have happened a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And here's uh. where it really gets angry, you know, like anger inducing. Right. So after this testing, they did say that he was paranoid, that he was delusional, but he wasn't an immediate threat to people, even though he was constantly talking about shooting his coworkers. How? This was in 1993. I just don't, I don't understand. Oh, I, I don't. don't get it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So by 1999, we have six years of this and it's not gotten better, you know, as far, apparently he just kept saying things like this. He 
when he did talk to people, he would claim that people were harassing him, that they were stabbing him in the back, that they were harming his goldfish and his koi, which, yeah, whatever. Um, and what seems to have pushed him to actually carry out these threats is that as Xerox management, he worked on a particular type of photocopier. Okay. And they were going to phase that out, which of course they do. I mean, you know, I work in a school every few years. We get a new Xerox or whatever, you know, copy machine. It's different than the last one. Right. And he was angry because he felt like learning to work on the new machine was going to be too difficult for him and that they were setting him up for failure. That's part of the job. That's what happens. Exactly. So his manager, especially when you when you work in a tech company, exactly. any sort of technology, things are going to get better. You have to get new shit, which means you have to learn how to use the new shit. Well, oh. exactly, and that's the thing with this is he'd been there since what I say, nineteen eighty four. So this can't have been the first time that this happened, right? So anyway, on November first, nineteen ninety nine, his manager said, "No, you are going to start." training on this new machine the next day and that's the day that he showed up for work and murdered his his administrator and six other people okay so this is basically a case of a toddler who got told no you don't get to do whatever you want you have to do what you have to do right and again i have very mixed I, i'm torn on this case because of the head injuries it's yes. hard to do that but right. in my mind like this is a child yes. who didn't get his way, and so he is, quote-unquote, punishing yes. the people who didn't let him do whatever the fuck he wanted. And here's the problem, though. He's a child who was allowed to own 25 guns. Right. And, like I said, so I'm torn. I, I have some sympathy for the brain trauma. Correct. This guy was obviously not right in the head. Right. And I get that. But... Nothing was done to make sure that he was not a danger to himself or to other people. Right. That's where my anger comes in. Right. Because they have, like you said, they're, they had all of the evidence that they needed to be able to stop this dude. Exactly. He talked about it all the time. He clearly had the, the guns that he needed mm -hmm. to do it. Why didn't anybody fucking do anything about it? That I don't know. And that is, I'm sure, a question that people ask all the time, time when they hear about right, this. Right. right. So, um, that morning he goes in, he walks in, he shoots one guy and, and he walked in, he had a handgun. He shot each of these victims multiple times. He wanted to make sure that each of these people were dead. And that's where, you know, because we've talked before about the legal definition of insanity, versus the medical definition. He definitely does not meet the legal definition because this was so carefully planned. He you knew know, what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. He plotted this. Um, so he kills the first guy. He then walked in. There was a, a conference room. That's where he shoots and murders five more people um, that were in a meeting. And then he just leaves. Like, he was able to get into a green Xerox van. It was owned by the company. I guess he drove it regularly right. when he was out making repairs. And he went to a local, uh, like, nature center where he sat in the car for the next five hours. 
the police sent a um, negotiator. It was a, They decided to use a woman based on his background, the loss of his mother. They sent a woman to negotiate with him, and after five hours, she basically succeeded in getting him to give himself up. Damn. Yeah. And so, like, you brought up the legal versus the medical insanity. Mm-hmm. And how this one was so clearly planned out and executed. And I almost didn't even, I was almost wasn't going to say anything about it because Dr. Phil, again, yeah. <laughs> cause he talks, I learned a lot of things from Dr. Phil. Okay. People want to hate on him for you some know, reason. And I don't get it. I have to say, I don't hate Dr. Phil either. He, he reminds me, I do think there's something generational to, his approach to life. I agree. And I do think that some people want to just do the okay boomer thing, um, which sometimes I'm a fan of, but not always. And, you know, there are, he's very, to me, there's a lot of common sense in what he says. Right. And so he talked about the irresistible urges versus the urges not resisted. Ooh, I like that. And I loved the way it was worded because like an irresistible urge is something that you physically cannot stop. Mm-hmm. That you it it's happening and you just have to your body just does it because you cannot physically stop yourself versus the urge not resisted is something that you know is wrong but you decide to let yourself do it anyway. And I thought that that was something very well mm-hmm. explained. And I think that helps with the insanity side right. of it. Because if it's an irresistible urge, then that would lean more towards the legal mm-hmm. form of insanity versus the urge not resisted, resisted is going to be something that the medical people are like, oh, something is wrong in your brain that you decided not to resist this urge. And I would say this is definitely an example of the urge, urge not, not resisted. resisted. Right. And that he... But again, is it better to take somebody like this and put them in prison or do you put them into some sort of rehabilitation? Yeah. A medical facility, which, and again, I, people will probably want to fight me with this. For the most part, I believe prison and hospitals should be rehabilitation facilities. I, you know, to an extent, right. I, I look for instance, serial killers. No, I think you lock them up and you're done with them. I don't, at this point, we don't have any way of making those people better. Right. Pedophiles, no. You lock them up, they're done. I'm glad we agree on that. I, I just feel like, well, you're not going to change them. Right. I mean, if your sexual attraction is to children, and especially when it's compl- combined with some sort of a sadistic urge where you enjoy the pain of children, that you cannot fix. Right. Lock them up. But, you know, if you're, I don't know, a robber or whatever, I think that there's a lot of things we probably... The smaller crimes when you it comes can deal to with. drugs mm-hmm. and maybe gang issues, mm-hmm. some here and there. I do get it. Some, most smaller crimes can, I believe, can be rehabilitated right. Um, under the right circumstances. Yeah. But, like you said, the bigger ones mm-hmm. are... Right. No. Yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah. don't want to give yeah. you a chance. No. And if you're violent combined with certain types of mental illness, you know, lock them up. But again, I do believe you should be treated for the mental illness. 
not, right. you know what I mean? Not right. just left for that to continue mm-hmm. to spiral and get worse and worse I and agree. not be treated. And, yeah. and prison is definitely not the place for that. In any case, on um, his trial began May 15th of 2000. He was charged with one count of murder in the first degree, seven counts of murder in the second degree, and one count of attempted murder in the second degree. So I think he did shoot somebody, but they survived. They yeah. Um, and, you know, it was interesting, too, when I was watching this, because a lot of the people talking about this case that were interviewed, so many of them were like, well, that's a mainland problem. That doesn't happen here. You know, it was very interesting to hear how shocked the citizens were that this had happened in Hawaii. Right. Rather, you know, they're like, yeah, that happens in the lower 48 all the time, but that doesn't happen here sort of a thing. And his defense attorneys, of course, did argue not guilty by reason of insanity, but it was very interesting. After June 13th, 2000, the jury rejected the insanity defense they found him guilty on count one for the seven murders and count nine for the attempted murder. And on August 8th of 2000, Judge Marie N. Milk sentenced him to life without the possibility of parole for count one and life with the possibility of parole for count two, with the sentences to run consecutively. Hawaii does not have the death penalty. And the parole board later ordered him to serve a minimum of 235 years in prison, the longest ever ordered for a Hawaiian inmate. And of course, isn't it kind of redundant? Yeah, I know, but I love it. To give them a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Followed by a life sentence with the possibility of a parole with parole, but they have to be served consecutively. So he's not that second one. It, it's just yeah, redundant. It is. But again, I think there's something symbolic for people. Of like he's never going to get out, but exactly. why not just do both without the possibility of parole? That you I know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. what I find is redundant. It's like the first ones you can't have parole, but the right. second one you can, but you're not going to be alive for it because of the first one. Yeah. Like it just, it just, <laughs> yeah. Um, in 2005, Xerox and the hospital that examined him both settled a civil lawsuit that was brought by the families of the shooting victims. And I think rightly so. Obviously, there was a huge failure here. Do you know right. what I mean? I can't imagine working with a dude who's constantly like, I'm going to come in and shoot you guys. You know, and that went on over. It's not like that was even just a one-time thing. Like the day he kicked the elevator, he said it. Jesus. So, um... I don't know. They don't. I'm pretty sure that, you know, the settlement was secret because that's usually how these things go. But they did. They were found guilty of taking preventative action uh, based on what were clear signs of his mental instability. And um, I'm not sure why this is, but this guy is actually incarcerated at the Saguaro Correctional Center in Eloy, Arizona. I don't know why they decided to send him there. Maybe within Hawaii, he would be too well-known and too much a target of other prisoners. Well, and I noticed, I guess I never really noticed this until recently. I didn't realize how often that people get moved to different states. Yes, and a lot of the time it's based on... um, 
excuse me, overcrowding. I know in Idaho, that's very often the case is that we just have, you know, our prison isn't big enough to hold everybody. Well, so if they would stop arresting people for an ounce of fucking weed, then they'd have some fucking room in their prison. Preach, sister. Ugh. But, um, and so people, we, a lot of our prisoners end up down in Texas. Um, we have agree, agreements there. You know, and again, this is one of those things that, you know, sometimes I get it, mm -hmm. you know. But again, that seems very unfair to families because now families can't visit. Um, you know, a lot of those things, again, depending on the crime. Depending, yeah. yeah depending yeah. on the crime, you know, it's important for familial connections and things like that to continue if we're talking about some of these crimes where people actually can be rehabilitated and brought back. You know, like right. I, I think a guy that killed somebody like in a bar fight, for instance. It was, it wasn't an intentional Yeah, I mean, it's terrible. And, you know, and they, they have a debt to pay to society and to their victims' families. Totally. Right. But I do believe that somebody like that can be rehabilitated. Right, because in a situation like that, it wasn't, and usually in, when we're talking about a situation like this, it's not that that person went in with the mindset, I'm going to go in there, right. I'm going to fucking kill this person because they did this, 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 right. or this. Yeah. It wasn't anything like that. It was like, oh, there was too much alcohol. There ended up being some sort of struggle, some sort of tiff, and then it turned into a physical right. altercation, and then it just went too far. Mm -hmm. Whereas a guy like this, given his brain injury, his mental illness, this combination of things... He probably can't ever live out in society because any sort of stressor right. is going to set him off right. and he'll become violent again. Right. So, you know, and again, I'm not a professional. I'm hypothesizing here. But we need professionals making these kinds of judgment calls. Right. You know, the United States has the highest incarceration rate in the world. Yeah, it's insanity. That's ahead of China. I mean, and that's not adjusted we're not talking about you know a percentage based on our population sheer pure numbers of people that we lock up versus other countries we yeah. are far and away ahead of any other country on the planet right that is a huge issue and part of it's what you brought up some of the stuff we we right. lock people up we for. would have fucking room god could you imagine taking every single person just in the state of idaho specifically every single person that is in jail or any of the prisons any county jails or anything like that take anybody who has a marijuana related charge out how much more room we would have oh, we could have people actually fucking getting uh jail time for rapes right. for sexual assaults for things that they don't get put in prison for right we would have the room yeah. we wouldn't have to be sending people to and that's and that's what i think we do the sh the, the worst job of is differentiating between habitual violent sorts of crimes and property crimes. Right. And nothing makes me angrier than people wanting to claim they're the same thing. They are they're not. not. They're really not. And people always go, well, it hurt me when, you know, my house got robbed. Yes, I get that. But you, you know. didn't die. Exactly. And also, you know, and use those people, like somebody who's guilty of like, say, robbery, you know, make it be a street cleaner. Give them something that is actually A, helping society at large and they're going to actually feel like I am working off a debt to society. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. gives them a purpose of some sort. And I sort. do kind of, kind of like a little bit. <laughs> see, I do kind of see the other side of it of the, 
the system being skeptical of these people actually caring enough to be like, well, if you did put this person on some sort of street cleaning duty, one, what's going to stop them from running away? Well, again, what's... you have to watch them. I'm not saying you just like set them free. I mean, this is all, you know, there, there are rules here and right. there are like a halfway house. You know what I mean? Where yes, an ankle bracelet, whatever. I don't know. Right. But, um, this idea that you, that, just punishing. I mean, anyone who's been a parent knows this, right? If your kid does something wrong, you just backhand them across the face. That's abuse. Right. Your kid's not going to learn anything except that they hate you and fear, and they're going to grow up to become some of these people Palm, we're guys. talking about. Palm, so, <laughs> but you know what I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying? kidding. Yeah. That was a joke. <laughs> but you know, there there has we all know that when you discipline children, there has to be purpose and reason and restoration to it, and that should be true across the board. Right. I actually, speaking of uh, children and having to, uh oh. Actually, my parents told me I was cruel the other day. Uh -oh. I have threatened to take my child's Christmas. Because Santa doesn't bring, bring presents to kids who are not good. That's right. If you act bad, you don't get presents. Santa is great extortion, I'm telling you. Right. And I asked my parents because part of me is like, that is a cruel thing to do. He's five. and But at the same time, this little shit is getting into <laughs> fights at school he has, he's in kindergarten, and how long have we been in school now? How long have kids been Well, in we're halfway through the year. We're just about to hit the first semester mark. He has made it to the principal's office two or three times, <laughs> and... But you know what? And again, I'm a teacher. Our school system needs to be burnt to the ground and rebuilt because it is not designed for children's needs. Our school system is not designed for what do I want to say, like the way that children are wired. It just isn't. We force children to sit still, shut up, and listen for periods that if you made an adult do it, they would stab themselves in the eyes with sporks and then come after the teacher. Right. Honestly, anybody out there, I challenge you, if you have the option, go shadow your child at school for a day. And if they're too embarrassed, just go shadow and, you know, just ask if you could go. And sit in a classroom for the amount of time that a kid is required to sit there. Right. It's onerous. And I say that as a teacher. Right. And I don't necessarily do the, I know I don't do the best job of trying to fight that. And, you know, um, but I do, I do try. Um, but there's just so much that I can see where, especially, I mean, a little five-year-old and now with all-day kindergarten, do they get naps at school? No. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous that a five-year-old is not given quiet lay-down time at school with all-day kindergarten. Right. That right there is a crime. I'm sorry, but it is. But. Anyway, I would be Christmas punching people, too, and getting sent to the office. <laughs> right. He, well, the last thing he did, he was pulling fucking keys off of one of the computers. Like, he pulled off stuff the key off the keyboards. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh. And I know it's frustrating, but again... You have to look at reasons for the behavior. There's always reasons for a behavior with a child. Right. You know, and children do not have the intellectual complexity to know to what tell you, are. you know, it's I'm just, doing I this. Know. Right. I'm doing this because I'm bored or I'm upset about this other thing that happened. And I know it's frustrating. And again, I'm not saying that there aren't consequences, but I do believe that 
you go with natural consequences as often as you can. And when those don't work, you really do have to do some investigation into the reasons for the behavior and trying to address those. Right. And that is from a teacher who got so mad at her fifth hour class on Friday that she told them all that I better not hear another sound and put your head on your desks because you're going to act like children. I'm going to treat you like children. And my room was dead silent for a full 10 minutes while they all had their heads on their desks. Most of them were probably sleeping. This was a sophomore class. I was so mad. Like, you don't even know how mad I was because they were just, uh, well, I don't, I'm not even going to get into it, but I was, I've rarely been that livid with a class where I just snap like that. Damn. And because that's not appropriate. I mean, it's not, it's not an appropriate, you know, but at the same time, you can only get pushed so hard. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I don't know this, our justice system, our legal system. Well, in, there's a lot of systems. While we're talking about Dr. Phil on the last two episodes, he's also, his big thing, which I I find this very admirable about him is because he is very opinionated, mm-hmm. which he, I mean, he's, at this point, he's given himself enough right. right to be as opinionated as he is. But he says that here in the United States, we have a legal system. But we don't have a justice system. Exactly. That's a and great I, differentiation. I'm like, Dr. Phil, I, I love you. Well, and I'll tell you right now, if we fixed, truly fixed, and had a justice system, fix our educational system, our health system. We'd be set. And with our health system, I'm throwing our psychological health. Right. For me, health care is... Mental and Physical. physical your dental and mm-hmm. your mental, like all of that should be addressed as one system. The fact that we separate the, you know, any of that out is stupid. Right. The whole healthcare system is your mental health care. Like I said, the dental vision, mm-hmm. that stuff, and the other physical stuff that we usually associate with that. With medical, yeah. If you truly fixed those systems and had them be as available, as widespread, and D- truly doing their jobs, this kind con- we'd have a utopia, right? We really would. <sighs> that one, I don't know if it's just like the really emotional tolling week that I've had, mm-hmm. but that one pissed me off. I know. I got, I got a little. Well, like I said, it the red the, the number bit. of red flags, right? And on nobody there, nobody fucking mm-hmm. did anything about right, it, right? You know, if when, you see something, say something. If you hear something, say something. Do something about it before the people die. Well, and that's just the case. You had people doing all of that here, and nobody who cared? did anything about no. it. Oh my god! That's like we keep having training at school for you know how to identify when kids are on substances or whatever. You know, but didn't you say that you don't have any resources to do anything about no. that? No. Except and nothing happens unless they're actually caught with the substance on, on them. them. They don't do anything. Right. So, like, so I'm like, why, why, training, why do I care? Right. Why are you training me to know how to point something out if you're not going to do That you're not going to do anything about. Right. Hmm. All right. And that's how I feel like this was. Do you know right. what I mean? This yeah. dude came to work, said for years, I'm going to shoot people. I'm going to kill people. And like, then he did. Meh. Yep. So anyway, that's that's yeah. my case. Sorry, it yeah. wasn't a good one. That was it. Yeah. <clears throat> but fix these things, people. Right. Let's fix our society. That's my big thing for 2020. 
2020 perfect vision to fix all our problems. Let's go. <laughs> that was cheesy as fuck and I loved That's it. That's where I am as a human. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me how cheesy I am and how wonderful Kaylin is at stateofcrimepodcast at gmail.com. I have not updated the Twitter for 5,000 years, but... Oh, I have updated the Instagram twice this week. She's so good. Once, like, five minutes ago while awesome. we were recording, so... <laughs> and check us out on Facebook. Definitely join our discussion group. Most of the action happens over there. Please rate us on whatever broadcasting platform you happen to be listening, if you have that capability. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a wonderful, merry, merry, wonderful Christmas and whatever holiday it is that you celebrate. We should we hope see you it's after, fabulous. after the New Year, before the New Year. We'll see you before the New Year because we got the, the week in between You're there. Right. So. Yep. All right. All right. So next time we'll see you is my birthday. Woohoo! Or at least celebrate. Day, day of, day after. Oh, wow. We might be drinking wine if it's Kaylin's birthday. Oh, dang. No. no. Well, we still, uh, my birthday's on a Wednesday. Well, we still might drink wine. So. I mean, that's yeah. never... I won't argue <laughs> with that. All right. Anyway, thanks for listening. Bye.